The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky. Kinky connections and kinky education. We're kinky done differently. What women and other wonderful humans want. A frank and fun discussion about the way people approach each other for romance, relationships, friendships, or other partnerships that make us happy, as well as an intimate discussion about how to connect with our own authentic self, with questions asked by a guy. And now, here is your host, John, or as we call him around here, hi there, catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a show about how people connect with each other and themselves. I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit, and today we visit with a talented educator who uses humor to take the mystery out of kink. Rain DeGray is an international educator, writer, presenter, podcaster, and performer that has been writing articles and teaching classes focusing on kink, relationships, and sex education since 2009. After getting her start as a fetish model, pro-dom, and competitive wrestler, she was motivated to branch out into education, something she is extremely passionate about. Demystifying sexuality and presenting in a clear, humorous way are trademarks of her teaching style. She believes strongly in making sex education fun and engaging. She's taught on a wide variety of topics at numerous venues, including universities, conventions, and special events. Her work has been featured in such places as Playboy TV's 69 Sexiest Things to Do Before You Die, the Seattle Erotic Arts Festival, and she was named the Dirtiest Mouth in San Francisco upon winning the Dirty Talk Game Show at Dark Odyssey. Currently, she spends her time teaching classes, writing articles, her online advice column, producing podcasts, and providing one-on-one -on -one coaching to select clients. Now let's find out how Rain DeGray is educating the world and what Rain wants. It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it the first five. And as always, we start with the first five, five questions about interesting firsts with Rain DeGray. Rain, when was the first time you ever felt a little different? The day I was born. <laughs> I mean, and to elaborate on that, I think that we're all a little different. There is no such thing as normal. Normal is a setting on the dryer. And we think that we, we're the only one that could possibly be the way we are. And I hate to break it to you all. I know this is going to be a bit of an ego crush. There's over 7 billion people on the planet. And you're not actually as different as you think you are. And that is a glorious thing because it's, it's so distressing to feel isolated and, and to feel different and not a part of. And when you realize that we're all wing nuts, that there's no such thing as normal, and that some of us just decide not to invest our spoons in putting forth a false facade for societal approval. Uh, but from day one, I have never cared about what society thought I should or shouldn't do. It, it really doesn't matter a bit to me. First time you felt comfortable in your own skin. Oh, that's a very interesting question. I am full of cognitive dissonance. I have always been completely comfortable in my skin while simultaneously being uncomfortable. Uh, I'm always both incredibly comfortable and incredibly uncomfortable in my skin at the exact same time. Uh, I would also say from the day I was born, I've never really cared about what other people think about me because they're not me and I'm living my life as ethically as I can. So 
I've never worked hard for societal approval. Um, every single day, I love being me. And also, it's a challenge being human. First time you ever picked up a flogger in a professional environment and your feeling during that time? The first time I ever picked up a flogger in a professional environment would be that I relatively quickly into my kinky explorations started modeling. And of course, I have a lot to say about that. Uh, but that meant that professional environments were something I got immersed in uh, fairly quickly as a kinkster. And I had made a personal vow never to top anyone until I had bottomed for at least a year because I wanted to know what sensations and experiences I was putting someone else through. So I wanted to experience them myself first. Uh, I would say that it would have been for a kink.com shoot. Mm -hmm. And how did I feel about it? The floggers are really fun. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're glorious. They can be anywhere from a, a whisper of gentle sensation play to being struck with what feels like live wire to such a huge thud. It's like someone's hitting you with a tree trunk. First time you ever performed comedy in public. Uh, oh gosh, my every day is a comedy. <laughs> I I am the comedy. My existence is uh, comedy. Uh, the first time that I, it's funny that you would mention that because I see a lot of comedy in kink and sexuality. And I have always woven all of them together because I hate to break it to you all, you sacred 24 seven total power exchange lifestyle kinksters. It's theater, we're having fun, and it's inherently ridiculous. And once you accept the fact that it's ridiculous, you can have so much more fun. And in the end, that's what, about, that's what it's about, is fun. Uh, I've done, I watch a lot of stand-up comedy shows. And I, I pattern my classes, my education, my podcast, uh, my lectures. I base them on stand-up comedy shows. Hmm. And I got booked to do a comedy sexy time story at the armory club across the street from uh, the mission castle for a comedy series called submission possible where in between the stand-up comics they would have the middle act would be a kinkster either doing a performance or telling a story uh, so i've done some stand-up comedy i'd say on stage would be for submission possible that sounds fascinating. The final question of the first five, and it has become a tradition. First time you ever received an unsolicited dick pic and your reaction to it. <sighs> um, well, uh, back in the day, men didn't have access to emails and cell phones. So the first time I received an unsolicited dick pic, I was 12 and my sister was 10. And a man in a tracksuit followed us half a block down a town for about three and a half blocks, continually flashing his dick, pulling down his pants. Uh, so I've, I received my first in real life dick pic when I was 12 because men have no fucking sense of self-restraint. And once they got the internet, uh, I started getting dick pics uh, very frequently. Uh, they all start to blend together. I, I hate to break it to you because I know that your dick is the most magical, mesmerizing, special dick of all the dicks. It is the finest dick in the land. And all you have to do is show it to a woman and she will be hypnotized, dickmatized, dazzled by your trouser snake. Just the sight of it. Uh, well, I'm sorry. They all pretty much look the same. And a dick pic is not the, the wooing. And men know that. It, it becomes an aggression. I, I know you're never going to touch my dick and I know you're never gonna want my dick. So I'm gonna force you to look at my dick. 
it, it becomes about power and control and much less about the magical trouser snake that they claim they want to share with everybody. Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and review. We really appreciate your feedback. Hello, I'm Jesse Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on what women and other wonderful humans want. It is simply the most powerful episode we've ever done. When when I had the death of the ego and I really, well, I walked away from what a, being a kink educator or a dominatrix means to my ego or what being a singer um, or someone who booked educators or cover bands for so many years. What does that say about me? That's just things I've done. It's not who I am. You know, and the important thing is that we help others and that we be of service. So if someone's listening to this show and they're feeling maybe badly about a job they have or a direction they've taken, there's no mistakes. The artist formerly known as Hutsey Hahn, Hutsey Brook, June 8th, on what women and other wonderful humans want. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Here again is our host, John, or as we know him, hi there, catsuit. Visiting with Rain DeGray, who started her career as a fetish model, then a pro dom. And when I mention something that brought modeling up to you in the first five, it sounded like you had this deep sigh that you have a lot of, I guess, thoughts about starting as a model. Was it because modeling can sometimes be so objectifying or is it because that you had to picture yourself as something different than you may have genuinely been? Neither of those. Okay. The reason that you elicited a deep sigh from me is that I have never been taken seriously as a kinkster because I have the audacity to also be a model. And mm. I have been, I have lectured at Harvard University. I have lectured at Northwestern. I am incredibly dedicated. I am an advocate for kink. I live and breathe it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's why I get up in the morning. I have dedicated my life to this. When they say in order to become an expert, you have to get dedicate over 10,000 hours, which has since been proven not necessarily be true, but it's, it's, a, it's a pithy, compact enough statement that we use it anyway. I've done over 10,000 hours. And my entire time as a kinkster, I have been dismissed, scorned, mocked, and belittled because I have had the audacity to also be a model, which would mean that I'm not sincere. I'm not a true, honest, pure, authentic kinkster because I'm in it for the money. I have the audacity to want to do what I love and I don't want to do anything else. So I'm a podcaster, an educator, and a vice columnist, and a model. And people see that as monetizing kink, which means I'm not as pure and ethical about it. If I was a true, pure, ethical kinkster, I would not monetize anything. I would also be homeless and living in a box. Mm. Like you can't, you can't do both. And people get very upset when you bring in filthy money into the, the purity of kink. I only started modeling. Oh, they do. If you haven't gotten it, my friend, (laughs) that penis might be a little bit of a shield, but boy, (laughs) do people love to criticize relatively height, weight, proportionate kinkster females that might have the audacity to attach any dollar value to their skill set. I never meant to be a model. I could have been a much more successful model than I am. I turned down countless shoots. My vow for every single shoot I did, 
I was unwilling to do a shoot that I wouldn't be willing to do for free. Mm. I didn't go down to LA. I tr- my friends started doing it. I tried one or two boy girl LA shoots and they weren't for me and they pay a lot more and you can do them a lot more frequently than BDSM and kink shoots. And people don't realize how many shoots I've turned down and every shoot was an experience I wanted to experience. And I would be just as kinky if I looked and presented in any other way. I have no control over the meat sack that a roll of the genetic dice gave me. But because I present as height, weight, proportionate blonde, that I guess enough people find this attractive, I was able to leverage this meat body into getting kinky experiences. As a model for kink.com or insects, you get the best toys, the coolest props, the finest experiences, the best handlers, the best riggers. I wanted those kinky experiences and I wouldn't have been able to access a 16th of the things I have if I hadn't used modeling as a tool to get the experiences I craved. And people hate the fact that I've modeled. And I started, I was kinky and playing in my local dungeons for less than six months before Mm -hmm. I had my first kink.com shoot. And I I will always be taken less seriously as a result. It seems to me that if you were to use the same logic, if a singer sells a record, if an actor performs on a movie or a television show, they can't be taken seriously as a human being or a singer because they make money. What, what do, where does that put pro-doms in this mix? Because pro-doms do it a lot for the money. Hated, slandered. Uh, it, your analogy is actually very sound. Every single time an actor tries to do a social cause or does fundraising or gets involved in politics or has an opinion, they are scorned, dismissed, Mm. and mocked. You're just an actor. Don't get involved in politics. Don't have an opinion. Just do the thing. It's it's very similar. Once money enters the, the realm, people get weird and twitchy. And the thing is, Most pro-doms I know, having been one myself, having known hundreds of pro-doms, they are legitimately kinky. Mm -hmm. And you still need to pay your rent, pay your bills, buy clothing, get food, pay for medical expenses. And every person that wants to go to a pro-dom, really, when you're going to a pro-dom, what you're saying is, for various reasons... I'm unable currently at this point in my life to invest the time and energy and effort required to get this experience I want. So how can I get this experience I want in the most effective way? I can pay someone to get that experience and or I can spend five years on FetLife contacting endless people, putting myself out there, like I will never pay for this experience. Well, then what you're paying with is your effort and your time. Mm-hmm. And when people slam on, on, on pro-doms, they should be doing it for free. They should be giving away this wealth of experiences to 150 people lined up, holding a ticket, my turn next, like she's a, a circus ride. You, a pro-dom puts in effort and skill set and energy to be good at this experience that other people are seeking. And most pro-doms I know do have collared slaves, do have submissives, do have people that they see outside of their business. And when people want something and they don't want to put the effort or time or energy into getting it, the other shortcut is money. And when you don't want to invest either time, effort, or money, you don't get the thing you crave. Mm-hmm. But if you if you crave the thing and you you refuse to invest time, effort, or money, then you end up hating the thing that has what you want. Uh, nothing nothing is for free. Pro doms don't get to live somewhere for free. They don't get their electrical bills covered for free. Floggers, a, a, a good cat of nine tails, a whip, those things are four hundred dollars each. Mm-hmm. So you're wanting someone with thousands of dollars of accessories and props and skill set to take you on this amazing journey. Pay her for her time. 
you could go to the store and you could buy a box of hair dye for 12 bucks and you could put it on your head, or you could go to a professional and you could pay $250 and your hair is going to look better. Compensate people for their skills. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science, but oh, the people that don't want to do the compensation get so angry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I have read a number of your columns on your website. And, I'm very opinionated. <laughs> and I, th- I think it's great. I think people need to speak up and really explain what the reality of things is. I've never been afraid to speak up. And reality is one of the core principles of my kink. I don't do fantasy. I don't, like, I'm sorry. I know that people want fantasy. I get the appealing of fantasy. All of my kink and my education is based on realistic, real life things, because that's mm-hmm. where we all live. I know that I crush some people's dreams, but I think it's really important not to have people get too locked into fantasy. Fantasy goes flawlessly, reality disappoints. If you spend your entire life looking at how much reality has disappointed you against this impossible fantasy you've built in your head, you're always going to be bitter and let down. And I want people to be a little happier. So that's why I, I, I burst the bubble of fantasy to make you happier. You're welcome. And it talks about the fact that to do the work, to actually be a part of the kink mm-hmm. scene, you mm-hmm. need to go to munches. You need to mm-hmm. attend education. You need to understand mm-hmm. what it's about. And if you're not going to pay someone for the service, mm-hmm. it does take time. Yes. We live in a society where we have gotten used to instant gratification. Everything is a click away. We have all of humankind's knowledge in a tiny little metal and glass square that we carry in our hands. We have instant entertainment. We, we don't do well with being bored and we don't do well with not getting what we want immediately. And time and time again, So much of my advice columns, I'm I'm answering the same five questions and have been for years. Mm -hmm. How do I get the thing? The answer is communicate and put in the work. Oh, no, 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 no. There's got to be a cheat. There has to be a secret special code I'm writing to you because you know. So just between you and me, you hook me up with the workaround. What's What's the cheat sheet? There is no cheat sheet. Put in the time and effort. The more time and effort you put in, the higher your chances of getting the result you crave. No, 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 no. Someone should just knock on my door with a bow on their forehead. (laughs) Ta-da! All your wildest dreams. We don't get what we want without putting in effort. And people don't want to hear that. Again, I crush dreams. (laughs) I I bring you down to reality. I'm sorry, but nothing I have ever achieved was effortless. I have had to work so hard for everything that I've achieved And it's proof that if you're willing to put in the time and effort, your chances of getting your desired payoff are considerably higher. Uh, It's not a message people want to hear, but it's an important one to say. And I'm going to keep saying it (laughs) until my dying breath. Sorry, folks, but it's true. What are some of the qualities a person would have to be able to connect with you successfully? Ah. That's an excellent question. (laughs) Uh, First off, not care that I'm range gray. The the thing is, um, I work seven days a week. I am doing 15 different projects at all times. I am so monogamous and possessive of my time. What anyone has to offer me has to be more exciting than me hanging out with myself and creating. And I love creating, I love accomplishing, I love doing, it's my happy place. And when someone says, Rain, uh, invest some of your time with me, I have to put the advice column, the book, the articles, uh, photo sets, classes, uh, everything that I'm doing on hold to hang out with you for three, four, five hours and, and we talk? Are we working on a project? No, we're, we're just, we're talking about a TV show you saw. Okay. Um, and I respond best to other creators 
people that are accomplishing and doing as much as I am, because that's a common language. I wake up and seven days a week, I create something. I'm doing something. There is always a project on deck. And when people want to get to know me better, <laughs> here's the thing. I believe that the reason that people want to get to know me is because they see the stuff I'm doing. And then they say, I see the stuff you're doing and it's cool. So we should get to know each other because we will hit it off. I'm like, well, but what stuff are you doing? So you want me to stop doing my stuff that have made me interesting to you in the first place, clear the decks and stop doing that stuff to invest some time with you. Okay, so what are you bringing to the table? The fact that you like how I look naked? Like that's not, <laughs> you would have to not be interested that I'm rain to gray. You would have to have not ever seen any of my porn. You would have to work harder than me, be smarter than me and be more creative than I am. And there are people that I run into that, that hit all of that checklist. But if you're not smarter than me, harder working than me, more creative than me, and if you don't give a damn about the fact that I'm naked on the internet, if you don't hit those check boxes, it's hard for me to clear out my schedule because you find me fascinating and I need to make sure that me giving up my precious time, my time is so precious, time, is the most valuable currency you will ever be given. And there is no amount of money that has ever bought a, sec a second of time. A billion dollars won't buy one more second of time. So I'm so possessive <laughs> of my time. I do find people that I'm like, oh, I would like to spend some time with you, but I haven't left my house in a year. So it's me and my cats staring at each other, having a lot of one-sided conversations. Uh, that's the secret. I'm letting all of your listeners know right now, if you find someone interesting and you want to interact with them, look at what they're doing and bring something to the table. And what I get is people that are like, well, I find you interesting. I like the stuff you're doing. I can tell we would hit it off. I could tell we'd be besties. Now clear out your schedule and be besties with me. Wait, you don't have time to interact with me? How dare you? You bitch. Do you think you're too good for me? And that all of the time, because uh, parasocial relationships, when you're on the internet, people have an artificial sense of familiarity. I know because I get it all of the time. You know what someone looks like, walks like, sounds like, breathes like. You know how they hold their face. You know how they laugh. Often you know what they look like naked. You know the names of their pets. You know their favorite color. You know their food, their favorite food. How do you not know this person? And you're like, we would be, whether or not we're banging, we would be, we would hit it off. I can tell we're kindred spirits. How do you not acknowledge this connection? I know we have. You, fuck you. Uh, yeah, I get, I get death threats. I get very frustrated people that are irate that I am not acknowledging the connection they know that we have. I have people that think they're going to marry me. I've had people that have been stalking me for years. I, uh, I never knew when I was a baby kingster exploring this stuff that the uh, end result would be that I'm locked behind a house with a very advanced security system and I do regular gun drills. I have no choice. My legal name and address have been leaked. And I have multiple people that have been contacting me for years that are convinced they're going to marry me, that are convinced that I'm in love with them, that are uh, convinced that we are going to have some sort of interaction. And when they have your legal name and address, I just wanted to do kinky shit. <laughs> That's all I wanted. And I didn't know somewhere along the way, people would be like, we're going to get married. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> no, thank you. Gun drills for me. I had no idea. I would still do it all over again, but I think that I would be even more cautious of my privacy than I am now. I've always been an open book because it's not an act. It's not a persona. I'm being me. I'm getting to be creative and make and do exactly what I want. And I'm doing all I've ever wanted, but I when you're living your honest and authentic self, it resonates with people. And along the way, my journey has resonated with a lot of people. 
99.99% of them, it's resonated in a very healthy way. But they're not the ones that reach out. <laughs> it's the ones that, that feel the need to reach out. There's, even if it's a compliment, you can't respond to compliments because if you do, you have started a line of dialogue. And once someone compliments you and you say thank you, now they're expecting the conversation to continue. And at any point when you are busy and you don't, then I get these very passive aggressive, oh, did the conversation die? Did I bore you? Did you get too busy? Did you wander off? And you're like, I, it's just me. I'm doing all of these things. I'm always juggling. I, I can't. I, it's physically not possible for me to hang out online having conversations with every single person that would like it of me. But boy, do people get upset when you don't have time or you don't respond to a compliment because are you arrogant that you wouldn't say thank you? Every, every time I've responded to a compliment at a certain point, I'm guaranteed to disappoint someone because I'm not keeping the conversation going. And they're like, yeah, but we were talking and now we're not. It's, it's enjoy the thing. Let me keep doing the thing. Um, but I, j I never knew that people would get so, and I don't have it as bad as some people. I could be way worse. I don't mean to be complaining, but I didn't know that exploring my kink would end up with me being behind a very locked house doing gun drills with my legal name and address leaked. I, I had no idea that that was uh, going to be an outcome of being yourself authentically enough that people find it interesting. Hi, this is Jane Boone, the author of the novel Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon in paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you. Realizing that you're polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and want to share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly-specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly-specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real-time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com. Do you want to leave us a comment, thought, or have something to contribute to the show? You can now call or text us at the 3W hotline at 513-788-2527. That's 513-788-2527. Or drop us an email at john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. That's john, J-O-N, at datingkinky.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Rain, I hear your story. I very much understand the connection that people will think they feel. Admittedly, when I do these interviews, especially in the way that we talk, where your voice is going straight into my ears and I'm talking straight into a microphone that goes to you, there's this certain feeling of connection that you have when you do an interview. But I can also see how people can take what can be a moment and try to make it a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's what people don't understand is you can have that moment with somebody, but if you try to make it a lifetime and force yourself on somebody else, that's where the problem starts. Loneliness is the curse of the human condition. Mm -hmm. We are born alone and we live our entire lives alone and we die alone. And nobody wants to think about that. We all desperately want a connection with someone else. And the thing is that people that are managing their life well, that have a lot going on, that could appreciate what I do, but don't fixate on it, aren't the ones that reach out to me. The people that reach out to me don't have a support. I, I mean, I'm sure some of them, but when I talk about uh, 
uh, my heart is so sympathetic. I, I do understand how deep that core of loneliness goes. But when you're not investing in your local community, when you're not investing in real life people around you, when you're, when you're fixating your energy and your spoons and your time and attention on someone you've never met on the internet trying to build a connection, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and you're setting them up to fail. And I love all the things that I see on the screen, but I also don't expect any of these people then to clear their schedule enough bandwidth to interact with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm so flattered when people want to interact with me or get to know me better. And what I, I want to say to them is I'm honestly not that exciting. I've met me. I live with me every day. I'm in my pajamas talking to my cats, puttering around my house. Like it is what you're seeing is a highlight reel. And when you look at that highlight reel, you think I'm much more, I'm a very boring person. Mm. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. And you've seen some photos and you're like, golly gee whiz, her life must be a nonstop carnival ride. No, it not. Uh, and you're, you, are, you are much better off involving your time and energy and effort into people in your community, people around you, people in real life, as scary as it is. I almost think that's part of it is that when people don't want to get to know people around them because it's scary, they're like, well, it must be safer to re- if I reach out to her and we hit it off, I would have that shield and I would have that protection and I wouldn't have to. It's so awkward meeting people. Hmm. Uh, I teach a class for introverts because I myself <laughs> am severely introverted and uh, neurodivergent and have social anxiety. So believe me, I get it. Hmm. Uh, and I, I think that that's part of it is like some people are seeing my highlight reel and not realizing that I spend 99% of my life in pajamas muttering to myself and thinking that they want to hang out with this. And that is me. But that's me after a shower and some makeup and some shaving and in practical clothing. And I mean, that's not sustainable. Again, real life versus fantasy. I invest a lot of my energy in breaking down fantasy because a fantasy is fun, but in the end, it doesn't benefit you. I call it the 80-20 rule, and we've talked about it on the show many times that, and it's being actually liberal with the numbers, but if people concentrate so much on the 20% that may be Mm. about sex that you forget the 80% that's Mm -hmm. about real life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if 95% of your pictures are from the 20%, they don't really understand who you really are. (laughs) Yes, uh, that is true. Um, Real life is boring. (laughs) We we wish that we had a fast forward button. A lot of life is just mundane, waiting through the necessities you have to do to get through to the next day and taking care of an unreliable meat sack that will inevitably betray you. Uh, I I get it. Um, I've certainly, I have uh, vanilla profiles. I I have uh, social media that is not... uh, rain to gray Mm -hmm. and nobody interacts with it it's super boring no one gives a fuck they don't care uh it's people respond stronger to the sex and i trick people with the sex i just taught a class for blackthorn on sunday and you come to my class thinking that you're going to see some porn star talking about sexy times but i've tricked you now you're in the class and it ends up being coaching and life advice and practical day-to-day stuff. I am using sex as a tool to grab people's attention so then I can help them. I truly want to help people in this world be more comfortable in their skin, to be more confident, and to be a little less scared. That is my mission. And I'm using sex as the tool to achieve that. And I am achieving it. Uh, I, if I could have been, (laughs) I've asked a lot of men, I I guess I'll ask you this question. Mm. I've asked a lot of men 
and everyone that has answer, answered honestly that doesn't have a fetish, every man, if you were given the choice at the factory on day one and you had no gender and you were allowed to choose, would you choose being born a man or would you choose being born a woman? My answer would be I would probably choose to be born a woman because hmm. I believe in a in the ability to show empathy, to show mm -hmm. emotion, to be what archetypal men aren't allowed to be, because that's the kind of person I am every day. And I've also had therapists tell me, John, you're very, very androgynous when it comes to your thinking and your mind. And it makes me a different kind of person. Does it make me approachable? Sometimes they think, oh, there's no way John can be as kind as he is. Well, I got news for you. I am. Uh, there can't be any way that this big six foot four two nearly 250 pound guy who is an extrovert and can light up a room. There's no way he can settle down and just be a regular person. I got news for you. That's who I am most of the time. So to answer your question, in all honesty, I think I would have I would love to have a second act as a woman, but I don't have any uh, feelings of body dysmorphia or anything like that and would never have changed it. But if given the chance for a second act, yes, I would have loved to have done that. That's a very unusual answer. And it is not the standard one that I get. And I'm sure that you're probably aware of that. Uh, every man I have talked to, empathetic, kind, caring, thoughtful, feminist, aware men. And they all admit life is easier if you're a man. You are given more societal respect. You have less fear of physical danger. You don't have to pause and think, should I not have earbuds when going to the corner store? Mm -hmm. You're taken more seriously. I have done a lot of study in this topic because it's something that I personally find fascinating. And People that transition, uh, uh, male to female, mm -hmm. or female to male, have have can, people that have stayed in the same job, regardless of what the job was, when they have transitioned from female to male, have noticed across the board they are taken more seriously. Mm -hmm. When they give an opinion, people listen. Even if the workforce knew them as Deborah and Address, and now they're Dan, Dan gets more respect. Dan is, is taken more seriously. Dan is not as corrected. Uh, there is a lot of baggage. Obviously, we have to unpack with that. Uh, my answer is, if I was given a choice in the factory, I would choose a man any day. Mm. I would choose more societal respect. I would choose greater physical strength. I would choose less risk of getting attacked or raped. And I would, I would definitely choose the privilege of being taken seriously. Mm. In our society, what a man is required to be is competent and skilled. His looks are so much further down the totem pole. Are you competent? Are you skilled? Are you capable? That is the burden that a man is expected to meet. The burden that a woman is expected to meet is, are you attractive? Are you sexy? Does anyone want to fuck you? When Caitlyn Jenner transitioned in her 60s, it was, yeah, but is she hot? It no longer mattered that she was an Olympic athlete. When she did her transition, all of the media coverage is, how attractive of a woman is she? And when you're in your 60s and you're making your first transition for something you've known that you've wanted to do for over three decades, and it's like, okay, yeah, you're in your 60s, but how fuckable are you? And when people talk about men tell me that they're, they're envious of the privilege that an attractive woman is given. However, we're all guaranteed to age. Men are allowed to age. Women are not. This currency you think is so valuable, the fact that you're an attractive woman, that currency is guaranteed to fade. And when a woman is no longer desirable, she is not given the same respect in society, but as long as a man is competent and capable, it doesn't matter what his age is. Interesting that you bring that up because we have had April Hunter, who is a former professional wrestler and fitness model on the show. And she discussed how 
she has felt cheated because people see her attractiveness. People see how she presents and people are scared to approach her because there's this symbol and many times it would be close to perfection because April has had many different body shapes and sizes from when she was wrestling where she carried a lot of muscle to fitness when everything was toned down. But she said she resented the fact that people would not approach her. So that uh, bit of privilege of being a beautiful woman actually worked against her. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it does quite frequently. And the, the obligation for women is to be attractive. And men don't have that. And I get men that write into me all the time and they're just so wistful. They want to be desired. They want mm-hmm. to be a sex object. They want to be desirable. And they don't know what that's like to have eyes on them and covet them. And a lot of times when men fantasize about what a female experience is, they fantasize themselves as being this blonde, busty bimbo with no thoughts in her head. And she's the most desirable piece of fuck meat. And they're like, that's what it must be like to be like the cream of the crop as women. I don't know. I want that. I just want to be an empty headed bimbo slut. It's like, that's not actually what being a woman is like. And you're, you're hyper-focusing on one aspect of it. Well, guess what? Bimbo sluts aren't allowed to age. Where's mm-hmm. the fetish for, for grandma bimbo sluts mm-hmm. that are casting aside their walker and sucking all of that dick? It isn't there. It's being a tra- And I'm, I'm, re- I'm okay, but I've, I'm not stunning. And I'm actually very grateful for that because I know people that are physically stunning And it warps you because you don't have to develop a personality. Mm. You get the the, the pretty privilege. You get the pretty pass. That is guaranteed to age. You had asked, um, how does a way to actually approach me? Don't compliment me on the way I look. Mm -hmm. When you compliment a woman on the way that she looks as your first, well, she said, I'm going to give her a compliment. Bitches love compliments. What, why wouldn't you want this compliment? You're complimenting me on something I have very little control over. It's a roll of the genetic dice. This is how my body was born. Sure, I could work out and take a shower, but you really are complimenting me over something that A, I had very little control over, and B, something that is 100% guaranteed to fade. It is the most empty compliment. It's like, but I said your meat sack is attractive. <laughs> what, what more do you want? I'm saying that this this sack of flesh that's aging by the minute you're older. Now this is the oldest you've ever been. Now you're even older still. That is marching inevitably towards one conclusion. That's the thing I like about you. Thanks. I'm not. Well, yeah. What can I do with that? It's I. I compliments. We like compliments about our appearance, but if that's the first thing you say to me, it. It, it goes to show me that there isn't anywhere for the conversation to go. You like something that I have no control over and I'm losing by the minute. All right, let's get a conversation going. Like that's kind of what you said, your, your 80, 20 rule. Mm-hmm. I love sex. I love touch. I love dopamine. You can't be fucking 24 hours a day. You need to hydrate. Your meat sack needs food. It needs sleep. It needs water. It gets cramps. You got to take a shower. Things get funky. If you can't tolerate that person when you're not doing sexy times, it's not worth investing your time and energy. And that's the holy grail is to find someone that we can tolerate with their clothes on and off that we can love spending time with when we're banging and when we're not banging. That's a hard needle to thread. Mm-hmm. We spend our whole lives trying to find someone that we can have all of that with. And it's not possible, which is why I'm Polly. Mm-hmm. You talked about being desirable and men thinking about, you know, what it would be like to be desirable like that. And I have discussed, and I actually first discussed it with Christina Carter, who was on my second ever show, a fetish model who used to be based there in California. I'm very familiar with her. I know her. Well, Christina, I said to her, I'm going to fanboy for a moment here. And that's usually where guys talk about, hey, you're hot or this, that, and the other thing. 
I said, Christina, I watch your videos in a slightly different way than you might imagine. I watch your videos wanting to be you. Not necessarily your body, but obviously you wear clothes that are my fetish. My, my fetish is cat suits and skin tight clothing because, and that's why my scene name is Hi There Catsuit. It's something I've always had. But what I said to her is I am wanting to be inside your mind, imagining what is happening to you. And I cerebrally want to experience what I think you're experiencing. So when I see you in a video, I'm not going, God, she's got nice this or nice that. I'm going, what would be happening if that was happening to me? Mm-hmm. And she was a little gobsmacked. She said, I've never heard anybody talk about watching my videos like that. She hasn't. That's unusual. She's been modeling longer than than I have. Um, that's a I, more common feedback. I'm surprised she said that. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, took, I, I took it as a compliment. Oh, so. oh, uh, <laughs> I, 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 well, you know that when we started off this podcast, you had talked about um, not feeling normal and, and what's it like to feel different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know if for you feeling different is a point of pride and is something that makes you feel happy and special that you're different. But many men certainly have talked to me that they, when they watch my videos, they're imagining what it would be like if they were me. Hmm. I get people that email me uh, and write into me all the time and say that I'm goals and that they would love to experience life as this super femme presenting body with the experiences I've had. Hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that's 60, 80. I'd say that's probably pretty close to 70, 30 in my mm. experience. At least 30% of the men that watch my footage are imagining it was them, wishing it was them, mm. wanting those experiences. I hope that doesn't take away like a special moment for you no. or if you realize that your wiring isn't actually, that there are many other people that can understand and, mm-hmm. and have an inkling and have gone through that same journey. I think that there is a lot more ambiguity and flexibility and duality in gender and orientation than we might want to admit. One of my sayings, and I've gotten in trouble for this, is that we are all bisexual switches. Hmm. And what I mean is that sexuality is not black and white. It is infinite shades of gray. And that the most dominant dom that ever did dom that is 99.99% het male, super toppy top, sir, lord toppy pants, (laughs) has some sliver and the most groveling abject I have your will is my desire slavey slave pants has at least some small degree of self-preservation and a little bit of a backbone or they'd be dead by now they would have said yes to everything so none of us are 100% any one way or the other Mm -hmm. Uh, I was the social media manager for insects and the talent booker and we got men writing in all of the time. They wanted the experiences so badly. They said that they would, not only would they model for free, they would pay for the experience. Um, but maybe Christina has a, a, a slightly different audience mm. or something. Um, I've always been very pansexual, very fluid with my sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, not very heteronormative. And perhaps people feel more comfortable telling me stuff like that. Mm. Uh, I do a lot of topping. I've worked with a lot of TS people. Uh, I am known for not being very bagged down in the heterosexual stuff. So perhaps people felt more comfortable. I don't know if she's worked with any TS performers, um, but I have a ton and that could change my audience feedback. I can, I can understand that. I had an opportunity to, and I'm going to pause here and put a break in here. So we'll come back. Rain DeGray, an amazing educator and hosts a podcast called Dirty Talk, which is an absolutely phenomenal podcast. I've had an opportunity to listen to a few episodes. And one that really caught my mind, Rain, was the one that you did on Fetish talking about the gentlemen who like to be hogtied in lingerie 
and have his nipples pinched. And the way you described him resonated a bit with me where I said I could have turned into that person. And in this way, you were talking about the fact that they were so hyper-focused on this one thing. And it sounded like they never grew out or grew their fetish. You would know them if I said their name. Um, They're disgraced at this point. Uh, They were, uh, they, uh, they made it onto the shitty men in media list. Mm. Um, They were, uh, um, yeah, there was not a lot of growth there. Um, I interacted with them for close to a decade. Uh, They are, uh, they were very well known. And uh, eventually their behavior caught up with them. Uh, I believe there was uh, some lawsuits involved. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to mention any names uh, with this person, but they had childhood trauma that they had chosen or were unable to process for whatever reason and ended up not being able to react ended up not being able to interact well with women mm. and turned women into an endless font of this mommy dom who would tie them up and pinch their nipples. And they did not want to do intercourse and this was their sole fetish, but they, uh, it became hyper fixated for them. It was the only thing they were capable of doing. Uh, I was one of many, many people they interacted with. Mm-hmm. I saw a picture um, of, a, of a fairly well-known woman that this person interacted with that had a t-shirt referencing it. Like they were a, a very promiscuous behavior where their submission was a problem you had to deal with. Mm. And I, I get that a lot with submissive men where they're like, but it's not my boner. Don't you understand? I'm not like the other men. I'm not approaching you with a hard on. So that must be, and I don't want to have sex with you. So doesn't that make me new and novel and different? I'm not like the other men. I'm submissive and my boner is not a problem you have to deal with, but their submission becomes a problem you have Mm. to deal with where they are flinging their submission at you. And I want to be furniture and I want to lie at your feet and I want to whimper. And I'm in such deep headspace that I can't have a conversation. And you, at least with this individual, they aggressively flung their submission at basically any attractive woman that walked by, uh, like a, a dog just spraying every fire hydrant, but look, I'm submissive. And um, a lot of women did not want to deal with that aggressive gift of submission that was gifted to them without them even requesting it. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- it ended up in lawsuits. <laughs> yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. So I bring it up in this direction. Uh, I am, I am happy that my kinks have evolved and they were dormant for 20 years while I was in a marriage where I was kink shamed and just could not enjoy or even think about my kinks at that time. When I left the relationship, I allowed myself to become more genuine, and my kink journey has evolved from just tie me up in a cat suit to understanding impact play and sensation play and deprivation, and it just became this much bigger thing. I have been able to establish connection because of that, but what I'm seeing with this particular person It's as though they're holding up an extension cord, wanting you to plug into it, but -hmm. there's no holes in the extension cord. Mm -hmm. There's no way to have a connection when all you want is what you want. Mm -hmm. And to Uh, me, that that can drive somebody totally over the edge because... All they want is that connection, but they're not allowing anybody to make it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's not just, uh, that's actually a very common 
situation when you say that your your kink has evolved and has grown uh, for some people and I'm and I, I suppose it would happen with women as well but certainly in my experience when I've encountered this what you're just describing and I've encountered it a lot as a pro dom um, this person that I mentioned in that in my fetish episode I have 15 examples of the exact same thing mm. where they have decided this is the formula this is the secret to happiness, this outfit, this position, this tie, this experience. And it is the only thing that they want. And it doesn't matter who is the hands dispensing the experience. What matters is the experience. Hmm. And they're not interested in anything else. It becomes a bit like an autistic child who can only have a specific brand of mac and cheese. And that's all, mm. they can't have anything else. This is the experience, this is the mac and cheese, this is the box, this is the flavor, this is the color. It cannot deviate. And the hands of the person cooking the mac and cheese doesn't matter how their day is, what they're thinking of, if their back hurts. The only thing that matters is the exact specific flavor of mac and cheese that needs to be presented in the same way. Mm -hmm. And in my experience, I have encountered a lot of male submissives who get very locked into this one experience. They don't care about the hands. They don't care about the person delivering the experience. It could be anyone. And in fact, when you start to fixate on a very specific experience and circumstances you need, you can start cycling through and you have 350 people that you've talked to or hired or convinced or, or used some sort of strategy to give you this very specific experience and you don't connect with the person that is giving you the experience. Mm -hmm. And then you end up wondering why you're so empty. You're chasing this dopamine high, but you're not in any way making any sort of effort to connect with the person dishing out the experience. And that's how you end up lonely and isolated and alone and unhappy, but you don't know why you're like, but I'm getting this amazing, perfect macaroni and cheese. It's just the way I want. So why, why isn't my stomach full? Or they keep chasing it. Well, I'll just find the right experience and it will solve everything. And it doesn't. Um, it's a hard realization. I, uh, a lot of people don't want to look in the mirror because mm. it's uncomfortable to do that. It's unpleasant. And if I'll ignore it and, go, and it'll go away eventually, and it doesn't, there are, the magic does not happen in your comfort zone. And so many of us are afraid to experience discomfort that we stay stagnant. And in the end, we aren't happy and we don't give ourselves permission to reach the magic because we're unwilling to go through the discomfort to get to the other side. Rain, I feel like we have only scratched the surface. <laughs> I'm, I'm a talker. I'm very verbose. I have so many thoughts and ideas. Uh, yeah, I will easily have a four-hour conversation without blinking. <laughs> um, but I've always loved words. I just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and your words with us today. Oh, it is my pleasure. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about anything that you'd like to promote, whether it be your podcast or your website. I basically call this the elevator speech part of our program. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I hope you had as much fun as I did. I have a podcast. I have an advice column. I write articles and I teach classes. You can find everything on raindegray.com. All of my articles, my calendar for my upcoming events, I'm going to be on some panels. I teach a lot. And if you like my style and want more, go to raindegray.com. Rain, thank you so much for being with us. It has been truly an honor and a pleasure. Likewise. I had a chance to listen to one of Rain's podcasts before doing this podcast. And the way she mixes both education and humor is just absolutely fascinating. I hope you get a chance to check her out on her Dirty Talk podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Next week on the show, we will visit with a woman who is absolutely amazing to look at because she has built a body into something that is just incredible. Shannon Seeley, a competitive bodybuilder and nutrition coach, competitive bodybuilder, 
a competitive bodybuilder and a competitive bodybuilder and sponsored athlete joins us to tell us about her journey into what she has become and what she's going to become. That's all. Joining us next week, uh, that'll do it for this show. Joining us next week, Shannon Seeley, an amazing bodybuilder who has transformed herself not only as a person, but as a personality. It'll be great to visit with Shannon next week on the show. That will do it for this edition. I'm John, aka Hi There Catsuit, thanking you for being with us. And as always, reminding you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What women and other wonderful humans want connects with you. Leave us a message at 513-788-2527. And we invite you to follow us on social media. Check us out at What Women Want P1 on Twitter, What Women Want Podcast on Instagram, and for our kinky friends on FetLife at www.podcast. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky. We're kinky done differently. 